0: To to be with you. Good evening, everyone. From my side, if you're visiting us tonight, welcome to to you. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Rito. Yes, I'm not a newcomer. I know I was a bit away. It was holidays and missions and all of that. So just relax. I am part of the church. Um, So uh, part of the eldership here at Every Nation Linwood, Um, part of the full time staff, and it's such a privilege to share with you tonight the word, uh, and I hope you're excited, because I'm excited in preparing this message, uh, it's, uh, I, I think this, this sermon series that, that we're busy with um, is so great, I just want to send also greetings from the and Susan. they're not on holiday anymore, but they did become sick over the holidays, and so they are put off with bronchitis, and so we'll them also in the prayers. Um, right, so... Maybe just a quick update. I'll say this, and then we'll move on because we are going to give you an extensive, not extensive feedback, but feedback on the missions. But uh, me and Zunit, we were in Namibia the, the past two weeks, and uh, such a blessing, you know, to to be sent from a church to another church to go and support. It almost feels like the New Testament, week, you know, the church being planted all over the place. And you go to different countries to support the church, and so they also from from the church in Okahania and in Swakopmun are sending their love and their greetings to you as well. and Also, being very thankful that we can go and support them in that way. Uh, so, I just wanted to mention that um, before, before we get into it. So, if you've been joining us over the past three or four weeks, you'll know that we are busy with the sermon series from the book of Colossians. And so, we are busy studying the book of Colossians as a church together. So, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to to take it out and uh, open in the last installment of the series tonight, which is chapter 4. So what we've done is we took a chapter a week and we've preached into the, the book of Colossians, giving a biblical understanding of the book. And, um, and I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed listening to the sermons because I went here, and so I went to listen to all three of the sermons, and you're welcome to go and listen to that on our website. They are available, and so in preparing for this, I will be ending the sermon series from chapter four tonight, and if I have to put a title to it, I'll say, Written from Prison. How's that? Okay, because Paul wrote this letter from prison, so you're welcome to open up in chapter four from... verse. <laughs> you like that? Verse two Okay from from verse two. Chapter four from verse two it says continue steadfastly in prayer, be watchful in it with thanksgiving, and at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may take it. Make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer. Um, just up to there for now. We'll get to the rest a little bit later because from verse 7, Paul makes this very interesting final greeting, which is very different from most of his other letters. It's quite an extensive final greeting, uh, almost 11 verses, and so we'll just in a moment see why that happened, but I'm not going to read through all of that. Now, if maybe you've missed these sermons, um, and you're like, okay, where are we now? We just read a few verses, I'll, I'll give you the, the summary thought of this, but I want to point you to the, to the website to go and listen to these sermons because it's really been breaking, broken, I don't know how you say that, open each week for us to have a better understanding of why this letter was written. And so I can give you just the summary thought and then go into what we uh, will be doing tonight so that you can almost track with us. And so if I had to put a, a summary to this, I would divide it in, in this sort of in this illustration that, that will come up in a, in a short moment. But it would be doctrine, doctrine that determines our practice. Doctrine, that's what the whole letter is all about. Chapter 1 and 2 is all about doctrine and how Paul is helping us to understand that our doctrine is many times faulty. When I say doctrine, I really mean our belief system. What we believe is many times faulty. And so Donnie did a great job, and Eugene did a great job to cover chapter 1 and 2, and to go into the specifics of our doctrine, of our belief system. And so Paul is viewing this church and he's saying, it's first of all doctrine, and then practice, because doctrine determines your practice, what you believe, what you value. You will do. That will be your conduct. And so then he goes into chapter 3 and 4 into conduct. And so that's really the whole thought of, of this book of Colossians. And so the thing of the doctrine was, is it was influenced by their culture. And that is what we have to recognize tonight, is that we are living in a world with a, going into a very certain direction, and the culture is many times influenced in the way that we believe. Which will then influence the? And so the question really is: do you influence the culture?? culture influencing you, us, as a church, right? And so Paul, that we know by now, we didn't plant this church, he didn't start this church, he never even visited this church. And meeting these people, we know this, um, as we've went through this, this sermon series. Came his friend came Epiphras, who, who was one of Paul's companions Convert, converted guys who gave his heart, heart to Jesus in Ephesus, and he planted the church in Colossians. And so he came and gave feedback to Paul and say, Listen, this is what's going on. And so Paul is viewing the situation almost like a, a bird's eye view. And he's saying, I can see where the problem is. The culture of the town, of the city, of, of what is going on in the world is influencing the church. They are mixing their doctrine, their belief system, with whatever is appropriate or relevant or contextual, and that, the practice, and that was the problem. And so Paul makes use of Christological doctrine. What all that means is, it's a belief system where Jesus is right. And he says that's the only way to the Christological doctrine to solve practical problems. Doctrine is always linked to practice. And so tonight we will focus on just shortly the doctrine, because we have spent some time on that, and then going to the practical side, which was these four, four verses that we read. So if we speak about doctrine, just to bring you up to speed, if we speak about doctrine, There's really two kinds of doctrines. It's either going to be faulty doctrine or it's going to be when you believe in Jesus, it's going to be Christological, lordship, or whatever you believe. And so what was going on in the Colossian church is that the culture influenced the doctrine, mainly through polytheism, which is many gods. And That's almost what we're seeing even to this day and also religiousness in the Jews, Faulty doctrine can come down to religious syncretism, which means the mixing and merging of different beliefs and practices from different religions. In some parts of Europe and America, there are Christians who think they can take our beliefs and practices from Buddhism into Christian faith. It's become so subtle. These things have become so subtle in our culture that we do not even recognize it anymore, friends. Progressive Christianity. Some Christian groups have also assimilated New Age ideas to the extent that it has become difficult to tell the differences between them and some of the Eastern cults. Just taking certain beliefs from other um, you know, cults or beliefs or religions and just mixing it in with our Christian faith and saying, In some Christian organizations, ancient Jewish practices as belief, as, and beliefs are presented as either or normative to the Christian faith, like Kabbalah. Now, I'm not going to go into the specifics of, of these things, friends, because we can make lists and lists of things where the culture is going this way and the Christians is almost on the same path, just taking some of the things and just mixing it into our faith and say, well, it's all right. In Africa, some some Christian churches are copying practices from African traditional religion with the mistaken belief that they contextualize or make the church relevant to the society. Saying, no, we are Christian, but we have to take some of our traditional things, mix it with Christian, because we have to make it relevant to the people. So Jesus is not enough anymore. The gospel and and the good news what Jesus did on the cross is not enough. We have to add to it. Then it's not the pure gospel anymore. And that is what Paul is addressing in this church. He's saying it's Jesus and it's only Jesus. Because he did it. We cannot mix it with other things and think that is going to work. It's very, it becomes very humanistic there. And it's not godly there. And so these things have become so subtle in our culture, friends. And we have become dull to these things. Let me give you an example. This picture here on the top right left. That's yoga. I, I like to exercise. doesn't maybe look like it now, but I do. And so I can see... People do yoga because it's most just exercising. Friends, may I say, it's very dangerous. Yoga is worship to a God that is definitely not Jesus. And so we have to become so how can I say, sensitive to the Holy Spirit when it comes to these things because our culture will keep on throwing things at us and say, this is okay. No, man, this is okay. It's fine to do it this way. When you're at a wedding, it's fine. You, you, we almost become and we look like the world and we don't even recognize it anymore. So we need the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, speak into our spirits and say not this way don't do this don't make that decision this is not right we need the voice of the holy spirit in our hearts leading us and guiding us and the only way that is possible all teaching this these colossians is if jesus is at the center what does that mean he took the very first chapter And he wrote almost like this Christological hymn. What does that mean? It a it is five or six verses. That's got nothing to do with you and me. It's only Jesus. Listen to this. Colossians 1 verse 15 to 20. He wrote this actually twice when he wrote letters. The other one is in uh, Philippians 2 verse 6 to 11 if you want to make a note. And what you can do is, this is really beautiful. If you take Philippians 2 verse 6 to 11. And Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. And you sing them. Oh, it's beautiful. Because all of that has got to do with Jesus. It sounds the same. It's got nothing to do with you and me. It's Jesus at the center of everything. Listen to Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him... For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of these gods. Fourteen times, speaking about Jesus in these five verses. All quality Jesus, the Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. At the scene. A Christological doctrine. A belief system where Jesus is at the scene. And so if that is the doctrine, then from that flows our practice. And so if we read Colossians 4 verse 2 to 6, then continue steadfastly being watchful in it. Thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer. So, what he's saying is if your doctrine is Jesus, if your belief system is Jesus, then it will flow into prayer that is steadfast, a walk that is with wisdom, and a speech that is gracious. Isn't that beautiful? Very practical. Paul was. Very practical in these letters. Helping the church to understand culture is influencing you. But you are supposed to influence the culture through your doctrine, through your belief flowing into your practice that will change a community and the culture. Amen? So when we pray about praying steadfast, it says, continue and the NIV says, devote yourselves to prayer. The, the message says, pray diligently. Devoted, steadfast, diligently. And so when we look at these three things, to praise the gospel, walk in wisdom, these three things that Paul is mentioning in verse 2 to 6, the last one, our speech to be gracious. When you look at walking in wisdom, and speech that is gracious. People will be able to tell whether you are doing this, right? Whether you are walking in wisdom towards outsiders, because they will see your walk. People will be able to see how you hear, how you speak to people. But the thing that is difficult for church leaders, and even Paul and Epiphras writing this letter, is how was their spiritual vitality? They could not measure it, and so Paul is saying, "Pray steadfast, because the moment that we stop praying, it means that they sin. Means that because sin separates us from God. And so what do we do? We stop praying. That's what that's what sin does. And so when Paul is saying, "I want you to pray diligently." Devote yourselves to pray. Pray steadfastly. He's saying, keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Yes, the attacks will come and sin will come and those things will come, but I want you to stay with me. Stay in relationship with Jesus. Don't pull away from Him because your vitality, your spiritual vitality is important for the culture out there. Always saying, be watchful with Thanksgiving. Very practical. I think if Paul was here today, I think he would would say, Wow, well done, guys, for having a prayer. Can you please add me on the prayer? But I think he would encourage us to do more, to stay with prayer, to stay with Jesus. Do not just pray for ourselves and our own situations. As he's encouraging, he's saying, don't forget to pray for us, your leaders, the people that went before you. Pray for us as well. That God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ, the gospel of Jesus, even while I'm locked up in jail. That the gospel will have miracle powers even right here in jail where I'm at now. And he's saying, pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as they did. And so the question is, how is your prayer life? We, we went through, a, a couple of weeks ago, we did a prayer series. You know, does those things, does those things ang- take anchor in your heart? Or do you just hear these words, these sermons, these things, and, oh, you know, we just carry on? We have to encourage each other weekly. Daily, to stay close to Jesus in prayer. As Paul is saying, we have to make time, we have to set time aside to pray and to stay in prayer. Amen? Amen. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. The message says, I love this way it says, the message says, use your heads. Use your heads as you live and walk among outsiders. Walk in wisdom, friends. What, what Paul is saying is, he's saying you are supposed to influence the culture. The culture is not supposed to influence you. So you have to walk in wisdom when you are with them. Don't look like them. Look different. What what does it mean? That is literally the whole chapter 3. Go and read it again. But in chapter 3, verse 8, it says, You have put away now. You are now Christians. You have given your hearts to Jesus. You are following Jesus. That means Jesus is at the center. And so in verse 8, it says, You have put away things like anger and wrath and slander. We don't slander one another. You have put away filthy talk from your mouth. You have put away these things. And so if you take these things and you do them when you are with outsiders, you will have no testimony. That's what Paul is saying. He's helping them to understand when you are with people, outsiders, people who do not know Jesus, who are not in a relationship with Jesus, walk with Jesus. Be very attentive to what you are doing. And what you are saying. Because you are a follower of Jesus. You are a carrier of light. If you look the same. And if you speak the same. And if you do the same. How will they know? Friends. When I go to weddings. And I've had the privilege of marrying a few people. And it's been such a blessing and a, and a and an and honor to, to always. It's a big honor to, to marry people, but it's always interesting after the the the, the sermon, and we get to the to the, to the celebration part. There will always be, be someone making the 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 the, um, the comment that, yeah oh, you are most the pastor, so you can't do. You can't you, you can't have a, a, a alcoholic beverage." It's not because I'm the pastor. Many of us, friends, we sit here and we go to these things. We go, to, we, we, we go weekends away. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have fun. But, friends, we have been entrusted with the good news of the gospel. And when we are with outsiders, we need to look and sound and speak different. Amen? And then he says, speak with. with grace. Let your speech be always gracious And God. Let your conversations be full of grace. Be gracious in your speech. The goal of this is to bring out the best in others. In a conversation. Not to put them down and not to cut them out is what the the message says. But to bring the best out of of people, let your, let your words, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Don't sound like the world. Let there not be filthy talk in your mouth. Very practical. Paul is giving this to the church. And friends, you know what? I, I, many of you know this. I'm, a, I'm an emotional guy. And many times I walk with my emotions on my feet. But the thing is, we, we cannot let emotions lead and guide us. Because if that is the case, whenever my son provokes me, I will shout at him. I will put him down. Or when someone provokes us, that is the way that we respond. No, we respond to grace. Because our doctrine is Jesus. And so when that moment comes, I don't respond from emotion. I respond from, from my spirit. Does that make sense? Respond from a place where Jesus is at the center and where he says, let your speech be gracious. Whenever you speak to your, to your wife, to your children, whether you are at school or at university, each conversation that you have may be uplifting and not be putting people down. May it be encouraging. Very practical from Paul. Pray stepfast. Walk in wisdom. Speak with grace. And so I want to end off into this final greeting that Paul is given. And it's very different from most of these other final greetings, like I've mentioned, like. One, uh, I think there's one final greeting that we can almost compare this one with, and that's 2 Timothy. And so it could have looked almost like that one, where Paul is, is just mentioning a few names and he's just greeting them. But Paul literally went, and so he's, he's starting to greet these people. He's greeting Tychicus and Onesimus. You can go and read it. Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, and even more, Demas. He mentions fellow workers in the kingdom. He mentions, I know. But this time, he doesn't just greet them and call them. He describes them. He characterized them. He almost says that if this, if your doctrine, if your belief system is this, and it flows into your practice, and so you start to walk and to speak and to pray differently. then this is the guys that, that, that I am spending my time with, and this is how it can look. This is almost the characteristics of a disciple of a Christian of a follower of Jesus. and so he's saying, "E this, my encourager. My beloved, honest, in this, my servant, my son. Aristarchus, the, the faithful one. He's saying, Mark and Justice, they are comforting you. He's saying, Epaphras, he's prayerful, always with you, and he's mature and assured, praying this for you, and he's working hard for you. And he's saying, Archippus, fulfilling the ministry. This is you and me, This is you and me. Paul is taking a moment where he's not just Naming people, but he's describing them. He's saying, in, as fellow workers, as fellow community, as church, this is what I see for you. What you can be for one another, beloved, faithful, comforters, encouragers, but be steadfast in So, how does this apply to us? That's maybe the question tonight. And so, if we ask, how does this apply to you and to me? Because this was a church in Colossae, we are not at a very different stage than that time, even today, with all the things that's going on in our world. You can just go and listen to Eugene's sermon from last week. All the things is going on in the world, and we have to respond in a certain way. And so Paul is helping these Colossians to understand from their belief system how to respond in a culture that's going into a very different direction. So how does this apply to us? Maybe you have to ask me. where are you in this culture? Are you still at a place where the culture is influencing you? Are you at a place where the culture is influencing you and your belief system? Why do? You, are you at a place where you have already decided you just don't know how to do this practically? Your practice is still not like Jesus or Christ thing. And the only place where you can start is the song. God's word. God's word, friends, need to determine our life. This is this is the only thing that can determine our body, our value system, our belief system. And from this place, through these lenses, we determine and it flows into our practice. And when I have that conversation, when I need to make that decision, when that situation is on my table, or I need to do certain things, I know how to respond because my belief system is